From Parkway Church in Kurana, this is the Parkway Podcast. Our prayer is that this message blesses and encourages you today as you listen. If you would like to know more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com. So if you are just joining us, we are, if you're joining us and you haven't been hanging out with us for the last few weeks, we are coming out of week two of 21 days of prayer and fasting, and we're entering our our final week. Uh, just as a reminder, a couple things is when you come in the door, there's a prayer wall there. I want you to be looking at those and praying for those needs, and that's going to continue into our prayer series. And then also, we're going to end our 21 days of prayer and fasting this upcoming Saturday night by coming together as a church and just uh, having a night of worship and prayer in His presence and just seeking the Lord. And I pray that this, this time of, of fasting um, is, is good for you. And it may be challenging, but I pray that it's good for you. What fasting does and, and all the practices, spiritual practices really do is they, they tune our hearts and our spirits to the presence of Jesus all around us. I was sharing yesterday at a, in a workshop for um, youth leaders and children's pastors and, and just talking about how spiritual practices don't make us holy. You are not holy because you do spiritual practices, but they just make you more aware of, of Jesus. And really, I think the heart of a follower of Christ is to become more aware of him all around. And so I do those things to become more aware. Now, the beautiful thing about fasting is it pays off great dividends as it tunes my spirit to him. But often as I say no to me and yes to him, I begin to see him more and hear him more in different ways. And so, yes, it's challenging. But I believe the Lord is on the move. You know, as I hear some of you and, and hear, um, you know, you share with me, I believe that God is at work in many of you through this. And I'm encouraged by that, and I believe that God is, is at work in our church. I, I truly believe that he's breaking the, the fallow ground that, that exists here, and he's getting ready to do, do some good production, I guess you could say. A harvest is coming through our church. But it, but it doesn't stop at the end of the 21 days. And so if I could challenge you, if you are are a follower of Christ, you're an apprentice of Jesus, you're a Parkway person, and this is the first time that you've done something like this, don't let it end here. Maybe the fast shifts or the spiritual practices change, but continue to seek the Lord because I think that this is the beginning of something new that God is doing, and not just because it's a new year, but I believe that God is at work. And many of you know that because you have that stirring in your own heart, and I've heard that. I had an image given to me a few weeks ago in our, our prayer meeting Tuesday morning, and it was of, of not just a stirring. We often use that terminology when God is at work, that he's stirring something up in us, and just as a phrase to... to illustrate how God is at work, but I had this picture of, it was more than that. It was almost like my, like the lava beneath the surface of the earth was beginning to boil in such a way. The heat was being turned up. The fire on the furnace was being turned up that it began to break at the ground. And the Bible says to fan in the, into flame the gift of God that was given to you, and that is the Holy Spirit of God. How do I fan the flame, the passion that I have for God? I do things like fast. I do these spiritual practices, and it begins to stir and do something. So I believe that God is at work. Now, with that, you know, when you look at the, the story of Jesus, when he began his public ministry, he was led into the wilderness, the desert, to fast and pray. And it says that after he had fasted and prayed, that's when the enemy came and tempted him. 
And so just so you know, as you may feel like God is at work, even though it's challenging, you know, coming to the end of this fast is often where you're in those vulnerable spots where the enemy may come in and begin to tempt you or deceive you or attack you. So be aware that God is on the move, yes, and he's ready to do something, yes, but there's a spiritual enemy that, that lurks as well, and he's waiting for a moment to strike. The Bible calls him the devil. It says that he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And Jesus gives us those illustrations. So be mindful. Keep in prayer. Don't give up. Stay close to the Lord. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to read the word of the Lord together. It comes from Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 to 13. Jesus said this, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that your word speaks to us even now, that you speak to us through these pages. And I pray as we turn our attention to what you've put in my heart today, Holy Spirit, that you'd continue to speak. Lead us this morning into a deeper place of prayer, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. So we're talking about prayer, the practice of prayer. Um, this has also become one of our New Year practices. My heart is for us to, is for us to be a church that prays, a church that prays is alive. A church that doesn't pray is either dead, it's dying, or it's not the church. And uh, we first talked about how we could pray anywhere, whenever, for, what, for whatever reason, and how any, any place could really become holy ground. And we talked last week about the posture of stillness in prayer to come before mighty God and, and be still. And today I want to talk about how to address the Lord in prayer. Our default understanding of prayer is petition. Right? Our default understanding is, is of prayer is I come to God with my needs, my requests, my wants, my asks. And there's a place for that. I love that Jesus, even as what we read, gives us an invitation to come to the good Father with those needs. Give me today my daily bread. He invites us to ask for those things. But this is the most basic understanding of prayer. Prayer is much deeper than that. Prayer is the connecting point between us and the Lord. Richard Foster said it like this, as author on spiritual formation. He says, prayer ushers us into perpetual union with the Father. It's, way, it's the way in which we meet with a holy God. And what we talk about today is really the beginning of my speaking part in that conversation with God. While stillness, as we talked about last week, helps posture me before a holy God, what we talk about today positions my heart and mind correctly before him. And there's two sides to this. There's, there's intimacy, and then there's reverence and holiness. So if you remember the, the story of, of Jesus when he began his public ministry, he shows up on, on the scene, 
and he begins to call people to repent for the kingdom of God is near and he calls disciples and he begins to perform miracles. He begins to teach and crowds are drawn to him. And there's, there's something about this rabbi that's different from other rabbis. And they, you know, some of them I believe are beginning to catch on, but they don't quite know who Jesus is yet. But there's something different about this man, the way he does things, the way he speaks. He's performing miracles and we read about this. But what I'm drawn to is is that of all the things the disciples ask Jesus to do as they start following this man is teach them to pray. They say, teach us to pray. That, I'm sure they asked much more, but, but that's what's recorded in the scriptures. That's what the, the, the authors of the gospels thought it was important for us, generations and generations, to know that they asked him how to pray. What is it about how Jesus prayed that was different? The disciples, the followers of Jesus, weren't new to prayer. They're not newbies. It's not unfamiliar territory. These were, these were Jews. They, they grew up in Judaism. They learned how to pray from a young age. And Jesus was a Jew. Don't forget that. God incarnate's heritage is Jewish. He came to Israel in the land of Israel. He will return to Israel at his second coming. So as a Jew, he prayed, but when he did so, he prayed as if he knew God on a personal level. When Jesus prayed, it just wasn't rote material, repetitive prayers. It wasn't just requests. Prayer was conversation. Prayer was where Jesus got his direction. If you remember when he said, the son only does what he sees the father doing. It was when he would meet with the father in prayer that he would see what his father was doing. The way he prayed, it sparked something in the disciples. And so they asked him, teach us, teach us to pray. And he taught them, and he didn't teach them to pray harder or longer or more. But he taught them to pray differently. And what he offered them is this model that we, many of us know as the Lord's Prayer. And it's in the first line of what he shares in this prayer that gives us this snapshot worth a thousand words of why his prayers were different. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Many call this the, a prayer of adoration. Prayers of adoration are prayers of worship and praise. It's beginning my prayers with just, just worship, with intimacy and recognition of his holiness. First he says, our Father. I was putting my daughter to, to bed this past week and and I dressed God in prayer as Heavenly Father, and she stops me and goes, Daddy, we don't have two daddies. We don't have two daddies. We only have one daddy. And I said, yes, but God is our Father. Jesus is not our daddy, Daddy. <laughs> and I said, yes, but God is one God and three persons, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God is our Heavenly Father. Yes, but we don't have two daddies. You're my daddy. A.W. Tozer said, what you think when you think about God is the most important thing about you because it determines how you relate to God. And how you relate to God determines how close you get to him and how close you get to him will determine how you live your life. Jesus taught his disciples to see God as Father. And we roll right by this 
You know, you might have read this and roll right by that, that portion of the scripture. It's either no big deal to us or maybe worse, we cringe because of our experiences with our earthly father. Or we grimace because maybe we've leaned into a cultural understanding that any sense of patriarchy in the Bible is toxic. But Jesus, or to the listeners of Jesus, when he spoke like this, they would have spit their drink out of their mouth for a different reason. God was, was never really viewed with such personal terms. God was the creator of heaven and earth, the, the sovereign being, the supreme one, the eternal one, to be revered and honored and approached as such, not personal. According to Jewish scholars in the Old Testament, father is generally a metaphor. It's not necessarily a title or description of God. But Jesus referred to God using intimate language, even calling him Abba, which was a radical departure from tradition. Jesus assumed to have this, this, this personal relationship with the author of life, that he was his father. And so it was radical for Jesus to teach his disciples to pray like this. Call him father. Now that might be difficult for many of us because for many of us, when we think of father, we don't think affection, endearment, connection. We don't think relationship. We think words like absent or controlling, or abusive, or overbearing, or neglectful, or careless, or hurtful. Father, that's the last thing I need. Some people have a hard time relating to God as Father because of their experiences with their earthly Father. And what we often do, subconsciously, is we project onto God our experiences with our earthly Father. And because of that, for, for many of us, we have a relationship with God that is disconnected or at Worse failing because we've, we look at him the way we've looked at our experiences with, with our father. If your experiences with your dad was, was those standards that you could not meet, maybe you feel the same way when you approach God, that he has these standards that you just can't reach. Maybe your experience with your earthly father was one who was hard and absent, and so you see God that way. I came across a, a very vulgar Christian comedian a couple weeks ago. I didn't even realize that this man was a Christian because I thought he was just bashing Christianity. But then as I dug a little deeper, I realized he was. He was just mocking aspects of Christianity. He was talking about this. He was talking about viewing God as Father and how, how, how ridiculous that is to him. He's like, you're, you're set telling me that I got I to gotta try to... Try to impress him, and, and I'm just going to fail him? How about we look at, at God as best friend? That's more helpful, he said. And I know what he's trying to do, but that's not who God is. It's not God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and God the best friend. Jesus isn't your buddy. I don't know if you've ever seen the bobblehead Jesus with his fingers doing this. Can you know Jesus as a friend? Yes, because he calls his disciples friends, but he's Lord. Jesus teaches his disciples that God is Father, but unlike your experiences, God is steadfast. He is forgiving. He is compassionate. He is understanding. He is gracious. He's approachable. He does provide. He never leads. He is self-sacrificial. He pursues you. Yes, he disciplines, but it's out of love. 
with love. Yes, he commands because he knows what's best. Yes, he has standards because he knows what you can become, and with love he helps you reach them. Max Lucado put it this way. He says, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If he had a wallet, your photograph would be in it. He sends you flowers every spring. He gives you the sunrise every morning. Whenever you want to talk, he's willing to listen. If He could live any place in the entire universe, and he chooses to reside in your heart. Face it, friend, he's crazy about you. One of the greatest descriptions of the character God in the Bible come from 1 John 4, chapter 8. It says, God is love. What exists in the nature of the eternal God is love. It's not just what he does or shows. It's not just what he offers or gives. It's what he is, who he is. The source of love. But we can have difficulty seeing God this way. And part of it is also because there's a very real spiritual enemy that that uses the tactic of deception to get us to question the character of God. And he's been doing it since the beginning. If you look at the beginning scene, the Garden of Eden, as Adam gives Adam or as God gives Adam and Eve direction, the, the sneaky snake comes in and starts to say, Not eat it, it's yummy, it's gonna be awesome. He says, Did God really say? Oh, you'll surely not die. And they begin to question the character of God. Can I trust him? If we question God's character, we won't trust. And if we won't trust, we won't turn to him. We'll turn from him. Yet Jesus calls us to a deeper understanding of Father. Not just seeing him as a supreme being, creator, but a personal, loving, steadfast, compassionate, merciful God who is Father and to address him that way. We call this in Protestant circles the Lord's Prayer, but Catholics call it our Father. Maybe they're on to something. Prayer begins with remembering and addressing who it is that we're talking to. We're talking to a loving Father. And when we do that, that's given back to us. As we begin to discover who God is, we begin to discover who we are in God. Praying like this helps me recognize where I fit in the cosmic universe God created. Praying like this moves me from created individual to child of the Most High. Praying like this moves me from creation to family. You know, God isn't his name, right? God is just an abstract title for his being. In Genesis chapter 2, God is called Yahweh Elohim, Lord God. And when the Satan talks of God, he drops the personal title, Yahweh, and just says, Elohim, God. You know, you can tell the depth of someone's relationship with the Lord by the terms they use. When someone has yet to see God as father in this way and themselves as a child, they'll say God. When someone has moved to a deeper personal relationship with Jesus, they'll use terms like Father, Lord. They'll even say Jesus. There's intimacy there. My kids don't call me Pastor Call, just so you know. My wife doesn't call me Pastor Call. The kids call me Daddy or Dada. There's intimacy. My wife calls me babe. 
pause for dramatic effect. There's intimacy there. Jesus wants to under, us to understand not only who God is, but who we are in relationship to him. He's our father and we are his children. He loves us deeply. And the second part of this prayer is he says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed means to make holy. Hallowed means to consecrate, to set apart, to honor. Our father is a reminder of the intimacy we can have with God. To hallow his name is to speak of his separateness, his divinity, now, the disciples at the time of Jesus would have had difficulty with the personal aspect of what Jesus is asking them to do. Father. The intimacy would have been challenging for them. The, the divinity wouldn't. But for disciples today, that's often our challenge is the second part. We, we in Christian circles can approach God as Father. We have often forgotten and neglected to approach Him as mighty God. It's the first part that we need. You know that the scriptures begin by saying, in the beginning God. Like he's eternal God. He was always there. He's the creator of all things. I said earlier, he holds your breath in his hands. He is the supreme being. There's, there's no one higher than him. The buck stops there in the entire universe. My son was opening up a, a, a science book the other day, and he was looking at the Milky Way, and he was saying, Whoa, what, is, what is this? He's like, is this, is this where we are? I said, no, we're actually on that spot right there, and I pointed to our solar system in this galaxy. And I said, see all these dots? I said, those are other galaxies. Ours is that one. And in that one are all of our planets and our sun. And he was just like blown away. God is the creator of all that. He's, he's, the buck stops at him there. He's mighty God. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. Hallowing God is honoring his greatness. It's recognizing that he is the Lord of the universe, that he's the king of kings, that he's the creator of all things, it's, and it's rooted in the fear of God. Now, the Bible says that to fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It says to fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. Jesus said, do not fear the one who can kill the body and not the soul, but rather fear the one who can kill both the body and soul in hell. Jesus said that. I don't like the sound of that. Uh, that doesn't sound right to me. Only if you've forgotten his love for you. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus begins with our Father personal, and he draws us to hallow his holy name in fear of God. May I suggest to you that part of the reason you may be struggling in your walk with God and seeing a greater depth is you're forgetting who he is. There's no fear. There's no awe. There's no reverence. Yes, you may come to him as Father, the curtain has been torn. We have access. But he still sits on the throne. He's still king. Almost always there's something in our hearts being worshipped other than Jesus. Money is a big one. We wish we had more of it. We want to hold on to it. It's how life functions. Success approval, comfort, pleasure. These are gods that are seeking to rule our hearts. Hallowing God's name reorders the affections of our heart. 
positions me correctly in prayer. It shifts worship of my heart from created things to the creator of things. It separates the Lord from every other thing. It puts him in a completely different category. This is what the angels do day and night. They cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Would the worship team come back? Jesus' disciples ask him, teach us to pray. And how you start praying matters. Father, he's Father, loving, intimate Father who is holy. He's set apart. There's none like him. This is, this is realigning our perspective. Prayers should start like this. What does this mean practically for you and me? It means that after maybe that brief moment of silence that I shared last week as you come to him in prayer, before you open up the list of all the needs that you have, that all the desires, all the wants, all the requests. You've positioned yourself in stillness. The first words that you speak, you speak our adoration and praise of who he is. So Jesus taught his disciples, this is how you pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are my Father who is full of love and compassion and mercy, and I can approach you, and I can come to you, and you love me, and you hug me, and you hold me, and yet you are holy, and there's none like you. You are God in heaven. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in jail. And not just any kind of jail. Paul had delivered a woman of a demon who was being, this woman through this possession was being used to tell fortunes. And Paul, because if you read the story, he's actually annoyed with how she kept saying that these people are here to tell you the truth of Jesus. And he finally just says, get out of her demon. Just an annoyance. Just get out. And then they're thrown before the authorities. They're beaten. They're flogged. And then they're put, the Bible says, in an inner cell in the jail, and they're chained. And then the narrative shifts, and it says around midnight, they start singing hymns and praying, and everybody in the prison is listening. They're singing. I don't know if I would be singing after I was beaten and thrown into a, a solitary place, chained up. Just saying. But yet they are. And I don't think that they've lost their minds, although I think people probably thought that as they were listening to these guys in the, in the jail cell. I don't think they're delusional. I don't think they, they weren't concerned about their situation. I don't even think that they didn't cry out to God. I think they praised they, they reordered their heart, they positioned their heart in prayer and praise to bring the character and person of God to their hearts, minds, and situation. I think they sang songs and hymns to the Father who is above all things to reorder their perspective. Yes, I find myself here, but my Father is King of all kings. 
Yes, I'm changed, chained and I'm beaten and I'm in this terrible situation. It's dark and I don't even know what's going to happen. I don't know what the future holds beyond this point. My Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. It changes your perspective. It shifts your mindset. When you begin to recognize that it's not just a God who's abstract out there that you can call to and he might just hear you if he so chooses to step off his throne and pay attention. No, he's your Father who waits, who's ready, who's steadfast, who's longing for you to come. It says the next thing that happened, there was an earthquake and the prison shook and the doors flew open. Their chains came loose. Next, they're witnessing to the jailer and the whole home of the jailer gets saved. And nowhere does it say they prayed for this. Nowhere does it say that Paul and Silas got on their knees and said, Lord, deliver us from this. Take these chains off. Reach the jailer. They just praised God. While stillness helps posture me before a holy God, praying like this positions my heart and mind correctly before him in every situation. And that's how Jesus teaches us to begin. Praying to God. I love how He'll say later on in ministry, actually just a few verses after this, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things that we worry about, clothes that we wear and food that we eat will be added unto you. That's what a prayer of adoration does. Why do we come and we sing songs of praise? Why is it in the Old Testament before they'd go into battle, they'd actually put the worshipers out front because it recognizes that I am not in control, but he is. So yes, I want your kingdom to come and I want your will to be done. And yes, I have all these things, my daily breads and requests that I need. And yes, I need forgiveness. And yes, I pray that you don't lead me into temptation, but you deliver me from evil. But first and foremost, let me recognize that you are my Father in heaven. And you love me and you are holy God. You know when you have, you know, some of you remember when your kids were younger. Dads will speak to you. Remember when your kids thought you were the strongest person on the planet. You could do anything. Remember when you were younger and you thought your dad could do anything before you realized he couldn't? <laughs> Comes an age where it changes. But there's this kind of moment where it's just like, I know what my, my dad can do anything. And there's a safety there. There's a security there. It's the same with mothers, right? Like a child to a mother just knows that in a mother's arms, there's security there. And that's what this prayer does. Doesn't matter the situation, doesn't matter the circumstance. He's my father who loves me and he's holy God. Just wait till my dad comes. Just wait till my daddy shows up. You think chains are going to hold me? Uh uh. You think this situation's going to hold me back? No way. You think this roadblock's going to stop me? Do you know who my daddy is? Yeah, I know who your daddy is. It's called Patterson. He's just a pastor. No, that's not my daddy. I got a heavenly father. And he is capable and he is able and he is with me and he is for me. Nothing can stand against me. And he loves me and he is mighty God. I want you to stand with me and us. I've asked if the team could lead us in that last song again because I think we just need to come before God in this manner. We just need to, we need to express praise, but as we do, I want you to position your heart and look, to begin to see God as Father. Maybe you're here and you have that 
poor experience with your earthly father. I had part of that myself. And I remember seasons of my life where I'd find myself in worship crying out to God because of my situations with my earthly father. And he would just remind me, I'm your father, I'm your father, I'm your father. And I begin to begin to understand what actually meant to be a father and begin to change my perspective on who God is as father. And so I just want us as we worship to begin to see him as such. When we sing, great are you, Lord, begin to call out to your father. But then also recognize that while you can come to him with such intimacy, while you can approach him personally, that he is holy God, that he does sit on the throne, that he is to be feared and revered. There is a sense that you need to come to him with awe. And that is a problem in churches a lot today is we don't come to God with awe. When we say God is awesome or that he's awful, he's full of awe. He's full, like we should be full of awe when we come and approach him. When you see a sunset, you're like, that's awesome. He made that. When you see those mountain ranges out west, like I remember driving out west, seeing those like mountain, like real mountains, not just like little, I mean mountains, and you're just like, ooh, and just you're speechless to a mountain that he just, mountain created. And part of our problem is we don't approach him as such. So as we begin to sing this song, great our Lord, begin to approach him. Father, holy God. Father, in the name of Jesus right now, as we worship you, I pray that you would begin to break the fallow ground of our hearts and begin to bubble the, the, the flame inside of us, God, and begin to fan that flame, God, into passion as we come, that we would approach you as Father. You are a good Father. You are a caring Father. You are steadfast. You are compassionate. You are full of mercy. We can come to you and you provide. You, you are approachable. Yet you are holy, God. And you are to be revered and you are to be respected and you are to be feared because you can and are able to do all things. You have all power. You sit on the throne of the universe and earth is your footstool. And so we come to you, God, with love and endearment personally, but with respect and awe of who you are. And so flood our hearts with that truth, Lord, in such a way that as we come and as we worship, we can express worship properly, reordering our affections and correcting our position before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message brought you closer with Jesus and gave you a better understanding of your walk with him today. If you would like to know more about who we are as a church, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at parkway.church